So my big impossible right now. So my impossible is. My impossible. The impossible. I think the impossible. An impossible dream that I think we could pull off one day would be. I am Tansley Stearns, and this is Despite Impossible. I am a longtime credit union executive leading Community Financial as president and CEO. I have always admired and been inspired by people whose passion is boundless and who don't comprehend the word impossible. This show focuses on their stories. Today's guest is Kirk Drake. Kirk is an entrepreneur, author, and keynote speaker who's on a mission to disrupt business norms and accelerate innovation through adventure, integrity, and of course, humor. This is Kirk's story. People who know you best describe you as? Uh, so this is a, a loaded question. So I think there's multiple categories because everything's complex. In my life. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> people describe me as as crazy uh, and, and willing to try anything, very risk-taking, very entrepreneurial um, and, and funny, I think. Uh, entrepreneur friends that I have think I'm pretty conservative as far as entrepreneurs go uh, <laughs> and are always egging me on to try more stuff and and get out of my shell. And then I think my family would describe me as the black sheep uh, of of the uh, like um, uh, my mother would say I'm most likely to end up in jail. Uh, <laughs> oh. everybody in the family. Uh, and, uh, and then other families would say, I, I like I, the way I've heard it is most likely to be a billionaire and most likely to end up bankrupt. Right. Like on oh, those, those right. dreams, uh-huh. uh, in that, in that mode. That's great. What about today's version of yourself would impress your 10 year old self? I think, uh, today's version would be that, I, that really, that I've lived the um, embodiment of uh, of taking care of of myself, both financially and and that the spiritual um, and emotional intelligence growth, I think in there would would definitely surprise my ten year old version. Um, and then I think that uh, I think my ten year old version would be surprised, frankly, that I was working with credit unions. Um, and and working for something that was mission driven, not pure financial motivation. What's your most unpopular music opinion? Unpopular music opinion. Um, what do you mean, like an artist that I like that no one else likes? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I well, again, this would depend on the category. In my family, my wife does not understand why I like Nicki Minaj and Eminem and you know all this raunchy, you know, kind of hip hop type stuff. Um, I don't think I don't think the other half of my family even knows that I like that stuff. And then uh, my my entrepreneur friends really don't understand how I like country music at all. Um, I have a very eclectic taste in in music, and so. and then my kids are constantly uh, complaining that I put on, like, usually when I get up in the morning, I'm listening to either classical music or piano music, something very um, chill in that respect. And they just think that's totally absurd. <laughs> when was the last time you danced so hard your feet were sore? So when I was in Morocco last November, we were in the middle of the Sahara Desert and it was this kind of beautiful scenario was a bonfire and then there were maybe 20 tents in the middle of the desert and the host had had i mean thousands of candles kind of spread 
out across the sand valley and then you had this bonfire and tables there and so we had dinner and then they had music playing uh and and me and three or four people danced i mean un unabashedly you know for probably three or four hours just listening to music and doing that and definitely felt it the next day that's fantastic yeah all right, what's the book, song, movie that said something that you didn't have words for? Uh, I recently uh, read a book called um, Shantaram, which was about um, a guy who escapes prison in Australia, ends up in, a, in India, and uh, lives in the slums of Bombay and ends up joining the mafia. And it's like his life story over 20, 25 years and um i mean he's a, a currency trader in the mafia in bombay as an australian i mean it's just like this insane story and it's so well written and so poetic and uh, i don't know how to describe um the empathy that i feel for for the the main character in the book or how that is a beautiful story right mm -hmm. like in, in that kind of it's, yeah. it's this weird juxtaposition and so i, I think that's probably where um that's been the hardest because and candidly most of 99 percent of books i read up until probably a year ago were business books books on finance um you know books on wine very very specific you know narrow target and and i have been going down this road of of asking people i know what their favorite book is and then going and reading it and being really curious and it's taken me down some very weird you know trajectories and things that i would never have picked up otherwise but have very much enjoyed Love that. What gets an undeserved bad reputation? Just in general? Mm -hmm. across the field. Um, uh, well, I think I think uh, my wife's a vegetarian and she doesn't understand how I eat bacon. <laughs> 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 in any way, shape, or form. I agree with her. <laughs> uh, so I think it gets a bad reputation from vegetarians. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, otherwise, uh, I think, I think again, it's very kind of polarizing. depends on the group. I think, um, there's a like meditation, spiritualness, mindfulness, I think sounds like a lot of woo woo nonsense, but I think there's just a tremendous amount of power and truth. And it's, mo it's more about being true to who you are, your values and knowing boundaries, knowing, um, what you're really after. And anytime I think you really do that kind of work and spend the time on it on a continuous basis, you get clarity. And and the the output of clarity is what is powerful about that, not not the thing itself of of you know mindfulness or spiritualization or meditation or any of those kind of things. What's your favorite thing that someone you admire does? Um ask great questions. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I think that I, I, I have a couple people in my life who are very successful. And what I notice as a pattern about them is they have a natural curiosity and they have ability to ask a question. Um, sometimes it's unanswerable, but sometimes that just cuts to cuts through all the, you know, ceremony and pomp and, you know, things we're telling ourselves to get to truth. What's your impossible? Um, what do you mean by that? 
You know, I don't want to define it for you. And I would say for me, it is about that dream that you had that everybody thought you would never have come to fruition or maybe still hmm. they don't believe would come to fruition. I think the, the, um, the only area in my life that I feel like I live in impossibility is probably mostly around, um, running like a five or six minute mile where it just <laughs> like, where like, I just don't know how to, to lose enough weight and get fast enough, uh, in that to be able to, um, achieve things physically in that sense. Right. Like yeah. I think starting businesses, growing businesses, you know, relationships, all those are good. But when it comes to, you know, weight, diet, exercise, that's where I think I have a lot of self-limiting beliefs and things that I, I feel like are impossible. What are some of the challenges you've faced that have seemed insurmountable? The, the, I think the biggest ones, there's probably two big categories. So one was when I was um, running Ogo and we had a client go out of business that was 40% of our revenue. Uh, and we had done an owner financed um, acquisition two or three years prior that was contingent on that revenue. Um, and then uh, having to work through what seemed like an impossible six to nine month process with investors, with everybody else. You know, it just seemed like it was out of my control whether we were going to be successful in doing that or not. Um, but it was, you know, absolutely essential that we be successful. Right. And so um, I think that was an, a, a time period that just felt really um, out of control and difficult that, that being smart enough and clever enough and having enough grift, grit was not necessarily going to mean success. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that piece. And then I think the second area that I have felt similarly um, challenged with in my life was probably uh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, right when we, we had three kids in 15 months and felt like um, my, my wife didn't feel loved mm -hmm. as much as the probably the first 10 years. And so I, I was probably on an eight or nine year journey of how do I um, make her feel loved, which is completely the wrong question and not possible. I can't make her do anything. Um, but, uh, the, the journey and that frustration of feeling like there wasn't, um, despite, you know, all the things I was trying to do, none of those actually worked. That one, I actually, I, I would say I recently overcame, um, in a very bizarre way where I, in Morocco kind of came up with the premise of what if I showed up as the best version of myself for 90 days as if she met me the first time um, and became new Kirk or Kirk 2.0 and knew what my wants, desires, likes, you know, just really put a lot of creativity and thought into, you know, who I would be today if I was not married, if I was not, didn't have three kids and that kind of stuff. And I came back and I lived that best version of myself for 90 days. And two weeks in, we were sitting down at dinner and she said, you know, um, I've not felt this loved in like 15 years. And I was like, this is fascinating. I solved for me and made sure I was doing all the things that I was, that made me happy. And that made me be able to be present and with her and see her where she was. And it completely changed our relationship in this uh, totally unexpected way. Can you sustain that? So, so what, what came out of it was a set of boundaries um, values, um, investments in the relationship oh. that, that seem to be sustaining themselves very effectively. Nice. Um, it does require, you know, I think the question, whether it's a relationship with your, 
spouse, your kids, your parents, work, you know, it comes back to what if, you know, once a year you showed up at the office as if it was your first 90 days all over again, yeah. right? And you can, and you bring the same curiosity, the same, you, you kind of sit down and say, what did I learn the last year that I want to apply going forward, you know, as kind of changing in values, principles, boundaries, things I'm good at, things I'm not good at. And if you know that, and then you bring that energy and that enthusiasm for 90 days, it confuses everybody around you first off, right? Because they're like, who's this new person? And, and you know, why, why are they no longer holding me to some preconceived notion? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then secondly, it begins to self-perpetuate because you get such positive feedback from that change and that energy that it, I, I've been surprised it's been, um, you know, almost, almost a year at this point. And it's it's a completely different game changer in in that relationship, right? And I and I haven't had to spend as much time. First off, you also after ninety days, you actually know more about yourself and what you like and dislike and what those boundaries are. So yeah. it allows you to kind of self refine and kind of keep moving in that direction. Wow. Yeah. Was there a point during your journey that you felt like giving up? Um. Yeah, many times. I mean, I think there's there's many times where you you I mean, I think one of the key kind of crazy difference between an entrepreneur and a normal person is the ability to self-delude yourself that you should <laughs> keep going despite all evidence to the contrary, right? Like uh-huh. kind of um I mean, there's a lot of data that says entrepreneurs are both slightly on the sociopathy kind of, you know, s- scale and co- slightly and you're certainly on the bipolar self-delusional scale, but that's also, I think what it really highlights is, you know, whether you're training as a special forces person or, or something else, we're all capable of a lot more, you know, than we think. And, and the hard times are the hard times. Like those are the things that define the character and, and, you know, get you through those. And you have to be, um, just because everyone around you is telling you it's not possible doesn't at all mean it's not possible, right? Like it's it, what what most of the time is, is it's not possible for them. It's not possible based on what they're seeing. And if you're seeing different things and different approaches, then you got to keep going, right? Um, and so it's, it's, it's a crazy part of it. What's your advice for folks to face their fear of inaction and use the fire in their bellies to bring their impossible dreams to life? So first rule I have in that is when you have that drop, got gut dropping, you know, deep gulp, you know, panic mode of whatever the thing it is. For me, the best example I have was I was working on the CU2 speaking stuff and I had booked a keynote behind Cal Ripken Jr. And I had done uh, a very silly speech on how to look boyish into my 40s um, at at an entrepreneur event. Uh, and, uh, uh, and the, the, there's a guy in the audience who is a standup comedian walks up to me afterwards and goes, Hey, you know, that was actually pretty funny. I was impressed. Would you ever want to do stand-up comedy as a way to improve your public speaking? And my initial reaction was that sounds terrifying. I'm going to throw up even the prospect of getting up on stage and doing, you know, 10 minutes of standup while I would love to be able to do that. This sounds completely terrifying. Yeah. Um, so in those moments, uh, and we all have them, it's immediately hitting the brain shut up, right? I don't want to hear the inner monological reasons for this and all the way, ways you're telling me to run from being scared. Instead, let's think about all the ways this could go right. 
and let's think about what what we can learn from this and and embrace the discomfort of whatever it is. And that has served me. The more I can I can feel the the clenching, the all the the uh, triggers that occur in that moment, is the more that I can go the direction I want to go and embrace the uncomfortableness of that that's going to lead to growth and learning. What do you look forward to most in the next 12 months? Um, I think the, uh, we're at a really good spot. I've got a, a 13 year old who's a freshman in high school and two 12 year olds that are in seventh, seventh grade. And I'm just loving seeing them become young adults and young people who have their own wants, desires, and dreams and fears, and hopefully steering them five or 10% towards that override button towards that, you know, is that, is that really a thing that's going to happen? And how do you, how do you deal with that? And, and so I'm just seeing them on that journey is, is really, really fun. What's your next impossible, my friend? The next impossible is, um, uh, a good question. So I, probably the one that is nearest term is I'm hiking Mount Cotopaxi in end of February down in Ecuador. And I need to be in the best shape I've ever been in, um, in that. And so the impossible of not only do I need to be running faster, running with, or, and, and hiking with, you know, rucksack and weight and lifting more weights and being the strongest I've ever been. I also probably need to be the lightest weight I've been in a long time to, to be able to have a chance at climbing 20,000 feet, you know, and, and kind of getting to the top. So, and I also suspect there are some weird ice crevasses and, you know, danger kind of things where I, I, I have this vision in my mind. I don't think it's true, but I have this vision that we're going to get to the top and there's going to be like uh, thick nails pounded into the side of this mountain where you, you harness yourself in and then you have to like step, you know, nail by nail across some crevasse to get inside. I don't think this is actually true, but in my mind, that's the, the mental picture I have that says, I'm going to get to this point and have to cross some 20 foot crevasse, you know, tied to an ice, you know, glacier while I get across there. Um, and so in my mind, I'm, I'm, how do I, how do you get ready for what the unknown is of, of hiking at 20,000 feet on a, on a big ice mountain? What's something that scares you? Does anything? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that scares me. I think the, um, for, you know, it's actually funny. I actually absolutely hate horror movies. Um, oh, yeah, like I didn't uh, see that coming. Yeah, and and the reason for it is, in general, um, I'm I get anytime I'm pushed to a point. I, I think the reality is it probably doesn't come out publicly. I. I struggle with the amount of empathy I actually feel in different situations. Um, and my coping mechanism is humor and confidence, right? And so a scary movie where you're where you're in this overly dramatic situation and you're feeling for this person who's super terrified and you know is fighting for their life against some zombie or whatever, I can literally feel that that entire experience. And I feel it so much so that it it um it scares the crap out of me from an emotional processing wow. perspective. Um, yeah. So. Who's someone else who should share their story with us? 
Uh, ooh, that's a good question. Um, anybody or just in the credit union space or? Oh, no, anybody. Mm -mm. Um, I mean, first of all, I think they're fantastic questions. Uh, I would love to see uh, Mark Zook answer those because yeah. even though I know him very well, I'm not sure I know the answer to a lot of these questions. And I think they're really good questions that kind of get to you the human dynamic you know, piece of that. Well, we've talked a lot about in terms of why Kirk would be a great guest that ties back to this notion of impossible dreamers is that he is absolutely that definition of someone who both executes well and dreams boldly. And I think Kirk is an example of that on hyperspeed. You know, he's really unabashedly bold. And what I thought was interesting in our conversation was when he compared how the world sees him, that credit union people see him the way I described and that entrepreneurs see him as not taking enough bold steps, which is fascinating. What I so appreciate about Kirk, which is something I strive for, and I don't think I do it as well as he does, but he's very, very committed to improving himself in a host of different ways all the time. I think it's really unusual that people apply that to their relationships as purposefully as what he does. And it's super inspiring. And it's, again, you know, I love these conversations where my mind is bent a little. You know, when you think about what it would take to go home tonight and treat the people you love as if you'd never met them or as if you're trying to impress them, right? Like on a first date, you know, and you made the example of work, right? That's, it takes you removing all your baggage, which is really, really hard. So, you know, one, it's, I love the idea, right? He, he thinks very boldly and I love that, but I think, again, tying back to why Despite Impossible is so powerful is this idea that he not only thought of it, but he did it. And doing that for 90 days is, yeah, my mind's bending. You have said before to me, every day you come to work, you're applying for, for the job you have. Yeah, yeah, I believe that. I believe that. You know, it's, and, you know, you've also heard me talk about, I had the opportunity to coach some people for a period of time when I was at Feline and to a person, those folks would say to me things like, well, I've read every book there is, I've had a lot of jobs, there's nothing you can teach me. And I have fallen into that trap at times, right? You might go to a conference and you see a speaker. And one of the things I've really challenged myself with is that every day is a chance for us to get better. And you're not better than the content that's in front of you, you're not better than the people that are in front of you, and you're not better than the conference you're like, you're not better. There is something there for you, and you got to be more thoughtful about how much there is to learn in the world because it's boundless and endless. One thing that is unique about Kirk is his humor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. What is the role of humor in business? Oh gosh, I think it's got a very it should have a strong role i think there are certain cultures that don't allow for it but i hope we do at community financial and i think you know humor is uh it's a healing ointment i think 
you know, and I think it's, it can cause people to let their guard down. I think in difficult situations, it can bring people back to life. You know, I just think it's, it's a balm. And, you know, physically, right? If you think about the last time you laughed really hard, like so hard that your stomach muscles hurt, you feel better, you know? So there's a physical response to humor that I think is really, really important. And, you know, I, I will say, I think that one of the dangers in the world that we live in, and, and, and I wanna be very careful right now that I believe firmly that we should treat all human beings with care and love and kindness and generosity, and we should never poke. But in an effort to get to that place, we've scared people from being funny. And I don't think that's great for us. This concludes today's episode. For exclusive content, visit us at despiteimpossible.com and subscribe to this podcast.